Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. This is when it gets real. Hey, uh, we're singing this beautiful song about in the midst of the storm and all this awesome stuff, and I just think it's so cool that we have a power surge in the middle of that, and we just get to keep our voices carrying it on. That's just so awesome. I love the worship band. Didn't even miss a beat. These guys know what it's like to worship Jesus when it's going good, and you worship Jesus when it's not going good. And that's always the way you can tell somebody who's had a genuine encounter with God is because they become unshakable. They become unflappable. They become almost like unconcerned about all the stuff in our lives that can go wrong. We've been talking this week about this beautiful idea that God can bring beauty from ashes. That it doesn't matter how big of a mess we can make of our lives, still in the midst of that mess, in the midst of our brokenness, God can show up and in grace and mercy, he can make something beautiful even out of our brokenness. That he sees in us this this glimpse, this reality, this latent potential that has been gifted to us by essence of our creation in the very image of our creator. That that God is, is better at saving than we are at sinning. Did you hear what I just said for a second? Now hang on. That he's better at finding you than you are at hiding from him. That he's better at seeking you out and chasing after you than you can ever be at running from him. That his grace will chase you and find you and and, and meet you even in the midst of your sin and rebellion. That he'll draw you back to himself with cords of love. Not in like a kicking and screaming and dragging kind of way, but in a way where you are compelled to come because you see the beauty of who he is and you come back willingly in a posture of surrender and I'm telling you that there's no amount of stupid (laughs) that you could possibly muster up to outpace the grace of God. And this is so remarkable. John has been our guide. We're in the first chapter. We were in the second. Then we jumped to the third. We're going to jump back to the second because I want to tell you one of my favorite stories. And uh, for you to get this, I need to tell you a little bit about my family. Um, My mother is a Sicilian which means that her family came over on a boat from Italy. And so I have this big Italian family. I know I don't look Italian. My dad is German, and I got the name Ulrich. But I have this Italian side of my family. And when I say, like, they're Italian, you ever meet the people who are, like, really Italian? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, just can I just talk for a second? They own a chain of restaurants in Detroit called Villa Penna, uh, my uncle who owns the restaurant chain, his name is Santino Polidori. He's a chef, okay? So listen, they're like pretty Italian. I mean, like crazy, this is crazy kind of a thing. And so in this story, I know that, that Jesus' mother was not an Italian, but she sure seems like it here, okay? So I know she's a Hebrew from first century Palestine, from the region of Galilee, specifically a town called Nazareth, but whatever, okay? Listen to me. She seems like she's a full red-blooded Italian here, and I'm just going to tell you why. Okay, here we go. I'm in John chapter 2. Let me tell you about my family. Uh, when, when my family, when a child is born in my family, they put a cask of wine in the wine cellar in the birth year of that child with the child's name on it. And then when that child comes of age and gets married, they bring this cask up from the wine cellar, and then at the wedding, they bring out this big mallet, and they hit the cork on the cask, 
and they open, and then what they say is, let the wine flow. And they go, everybody says, salud. Everybody say it with me. Just say, salud. salud. See, now you're Italian too. Anybody, is anyone from a big Italian family like mine? Really weird? Okay, now you know what I'm talking about, right? They're very serious about wine. And this is a big deal. It goes into the cellar, it comes back up. Okay, so you got to get in the right frame of reference too. Now, I know some of you, you've been to like weddings before. My wife is Scandinavian, and, and her family, how do I explain this? They eat because nutrition is required to survive. You know what I'm talking about? Like they eat because you, if you don't eat, you starve to death. That's why they eat. You want to, you want to know why I eat? <laughs> okay, because baby, <laughs> okay. Because have you had Scandinavian food before? Okay? No, you haven't. You know why you haven't? Because it never really caught on. Because it's not a thing. Because it's gross. Okay? It's disgusting. They eat things like pickled fish. It, oh, no. I'm not even kidding. It's, it's, it's not right. It's like they just missed out on the best part of life. And that's feasting. And in an Italian wedding, what you do in an Italian wedding is you have a seven-course meal. Can someone say seven-course meal, baby? And then you party all night long, and then sometime around 1 or 2 in the morning, you have another dinner because the party's still going, and it's 1 or 2 in the morning, and we can't send these people home you know, just drunk because that would be dangerous, so we got to give them like pizza and, and chicken wings, and like, you get like dinner 2.0 at like 1 or 2 in the morning, and then it just parties all night long till it's done. And this, this is how these weddings work. Now, all that being said, my Italian family has nothing on the Hebrews in first century Palestine, they knew how to partay. Okay? These wedding feasts are multi-day events. This is not like you show up in your Sunday best, you go to the wedding, you do the vows, and you leave. This is like a party that goes and goes for maybe three days long. So Think about this. Everybody's traveled. They get there, and it's just feasts, and they just keep going and going, and the whole village is there, and it's this beautiful occasion where everyone comes to celebrate this new thing because in that culture, we're starting this beautiful new family where this idea is you leave and you cleave, and you have this new family unit, and so the whole community comes to celebrate. This is awesome. This is powerful. All right, you still with me? Okay, so throw your paradigm away. Pick this one up. Here we go. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, what did I just say about these weddings? Days and days, baby. This is a big party. This is not tame. This is, don't, don't, whatever you, if you've been to like one of those buttoned up church weddings where it was like everything was really proper and everything was like in its place and like you were like kind of wondering when the fun was going to happen and then it never happened. Okay, this isn't that. Okay, this is dancing. This is partying. This is feasting. This is a big deal. It's a holy feast. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana uh, in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Uh, now, I get to do a lot of weddings. I'm doing, I think, eight weddings this summer as the officiant. Uh, I know, it's, it's great. It's, I'm not getting married eight times. I've only been married once. That's good enough for me. Um, I'm performing the ceremony, and it's really fun for me to perform the ceremony when, I, when my mother is there. It's, it's neat, because it's, she's like, my mom is like the most proud lady in the whole world. You know what I'm talking about? You know how like your mom is so convinced of what you're capable of? You ever have that scenario? Like the, when, when we were little kids, there was a bully on, on, on the school bus, and he was messing everybody up, and one of the other moms was complaining about it to my mom, and my mom was like, oh, 
what's the issue? And they were like, so-and-so, Joey, blah, blah, he's bullying little Kyle. And my mom was like, I'll handle it. And I'm like, what's, what's about to happen? And she was like, Justin. And I was like, yes, mom. And she was like, Joey's a bully. Take care of it. And I'm like, all right. Do I have your permission to take care of it? And she's like, you do. And I'm like, handled. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm enormous. Um, <laughs> someone called me Thanos earlier. <laughs> I can handle a bully, okay? I got it. I got it covered. Um, you know, you, w- w- when your mom is like, I've got this. I have another brother who's really handy. Someone had a leak in their basement. And, you know, they're like, oh, I have this leak. I can't get my foundation fixed. And my mom goes, what's your problem? Jordan. And Jordan stands up. What, mom? They have a leak in their basement. Handle it. Okay? That happens to me all the time now because I don't beat up bullies anymore because I'm, I'm a man of the cloth now. And so I, 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 I follow the way of Jesus-shaped redemptive nonviolence. And anyway, but now she says things like, oh, your marriage is in trouble. And she goes, Justin, stand up. And I come over and I go, what, mom? Their marriage is falling apart. Handle it. She walks away. Right? You get this picture? Okay. So Jesus' mother is at this wedding with Jesus. Now, this is early. John has arranged this story in such a way, this is before he's done anything miraculous yet. In John's narrative, Jesus hasn't done any of the amazing Jesus things that we all know and love yet. This is, this is, the, this is the inaugural event. Still with me? Okay. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding, so it's someone they know, it's a family friend, and you have to understand also, this is in the same region where Mary grew up. Cana in Galilee is nearby where Mary is from. Still with me. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Jesus, stand up. Comes over, yes, mom. And he says, or she says, Jesus, they have no more wine. Handle it. Are you getting me on this? Okay. And let, Jesus, I, I love this because he gets sassy. He, he really does. I just want to tell you, your mom has gotten on your case a lot of times because you, you ever wonder what talking back actually is? Who has ever been in trouble for talking back? Anyone ever figured out what that is? I'm 38 years old. I have no idea what that is, okay? Still don't know. Well, you know, your mom is smarter than mine, apparently. But, okay, Jesus says this, woman, why do you involve me? Now, you are not allowed to call your mom woman. If I called my mom woman, my face would be slapped into another zip code. I'm telling you right now, she would pull out my spine and beat me with it. Okay? I mean, my mom is like Mortal Kombat level 5 fatality kind of throat punch. I mean, she could mess me up. She is 88 pounds of Italian fury and spice, right? Whew. Have I mentioned I'm enormous? Anyway. I think it's payback because she was like 90 pounds pregnant with me and I was a 10 and a half pound baby. That's not fair. The universe is cruel. Anyway, okay. Woman! Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, I love this, she completely ignores what he just said. 
Now, there is no one in this world qualified to completely ignore the word of Jesus except for Jesus' mother. Nobody else can talk to Jesus like he, she, she, she's like, they ran out of wine. He's like, this isn't my problem, lady. And I love how she just completely ignores him and she just pretends like he didn't say anything. And listen to what she says. Do whatever he tells you. In other words, I've, I've handled this. This problem is under control. Nearby stood six stone water jars. And the narrator tells us here, these are just ordinary jars. They're the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding between 10 and 30 gallons. This is like wash basin. These are nothing magical about the jars. And Jesus, voluntold by his mother to fix this problem, is going to step into a situation that is painfully ordinary, and he's going to do something remarkably extraordinary. And he said, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had turned into wine. Say wine. wine. Say wine again. Wine. See, you guys aren't old enough to appreciate how magical this is, but this is some pretty awesome magic right here. This is like, this is great. And then he told them, draw some out. And take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So this is a secret. Now, no one at the banquet knows the secret. We know it as the readers. Jesus knows it. The servants know it. And who else knows it? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, just this is as much her miracle as it is anybody else's. You got to hear me on this, okay? Then he called the bridegroom aside. This is the master of ceremonies, this three-day event. This is the guy keeping the party going. He's the MC of the whole thing. He's the, sort of this like sommelier. He's the expert. He's the wine expert. He's the host. And this is what he said. And listen, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Like nobody brings out the good stuff at day three of the party. Everybody's fine. They, they bring out the good stuff first. The cheap stuff comes later. Like I said, you have, you have the, your first dinner is a seven-course, beautifully prepared meal. That second dinner is like pizza rolls and pretzels, okay? He's saying you have saved the best for last. You've saved the very best until now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, maybe you're smart. I don't know. I don't know you that well. A handful of you are, I'm sure. Maybe you're the type of person that could say, hey, God, I could make you a list of 111 things that would be more important than wine at a wedding for your inaugural miracle. Okay, we've got starving children. That's number one. Okay, we've got all kinds of injustice in this world. We, there's still bullies around that need to be throat punched. Jesus, can you handle those bullies, right? I mean, there, there, we still have situations that are rather dramatic in this world. I mean, can't we do something? If you're going to bend the laws of physics at a wedding to keep the party going on day three, it just seems rather ordinary. It doesn't seem like a big event. And here's what I want you to understand. This was so remarkable that when John had 
hundreds, maybe thousands of stories to tell us about Jesus, he picks this one to be the one that introduces us to the miraculous power of God. John is so confident that the picture painted right here is so critical for us to understand. It's going to frame the rest of the narrative in such a powerful way. And so I want to break this down for you so you can understand just how remarkable it is. So if you're taking notes, number one, Jesus starts with the ordinary and he brings out the extraordinary. Man, what Jesus does here is he meets someone right in the middle of the mess of their story. He acts. He comes alive. He reveals his glory to save a bride and groom from embarrassment on their wedding day. He shows up right in the midst of something that would be trivial. And maybe you don't get this. Sometimes when I was a teenager, those moments would feel so big to me. And I would reach out to an adult for help. And occasionally I would get this answer from an adult that would, that would kind of clue me in. Like, they don't think that my emergency is any big deal. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, oh my gosh, you're 13 and your first love just broke up with you. And you're like, I will never love again. And your mom is like, what would she say? Something like, there are other girls out there, Kyle. Right? I mean, come on, Kyle. And you're like, but this is my whole world is caving in. I have a 10-year-old right now, and my 10-year-old's drama is so big. I mean, this is like, it is an earth-shaking event when she has like a frenemies fight on the playground, and she comes home, and she's like, my friend Fiona did this, and my friend Lady did that, and my other friend did this, and that, but so-and-so was me, and so-and-so was that. And I have to remember that though it seems trivial to me, that's her whole world right now. Here's what I need you to see. No matter how mundane, no matter how small, no matter how trivial your moment might be, this story tells us Jesus cares about the ordinary moments in your life. And even in the ordinary moments of your life, he wants to show up and do something extraordinary. Listen to me. This is so important. You don't have a spiritual life and then an academic life. You don't get to act one way at camp and another way at school. You don't get to go home and, and compartmentalize everything. You just have one story and, and God wants all of it. He wants to be Lord of the everyday. He wants to be Lord of the ordinary. And this is why I love Mary's perspective in this story so much. I want you to imagine this story from Mary's perspective. Mary, this ordinary little girl, found herself swept up into a, an extraordinarily huge story. Can you imagine what it would be like to be 14 or 15 years old and have an angel of God come to you and say, I am going to change the universe through you. And you're like, I was just kind of hoping for normal. I don't know that I'm ready for the whole like, revolution of all time, the God-shaped grace invasion to come through my womb. That just seems a little bit epic. Like that's, that's now this is why it's so crazy. We have this idea about Mary that she's like this venerated stained glass icon, this saint that everybody has statues of her all over their houses and stuff like that, right? But here, you have to understand, nobody believed her. I mean, not a single person believed her. They probably thought, 
at best, she made a sinful mistake and that her, she had a lapse of, of moral judgment. And at worst, they thought maybe she was assaulted by somebody. I mean, they knew where babies came from and it's not through prayer. I just want you to think about this for a second. Like one of your friends shows up and says, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's God's baby. You're giggling because you don't believe them. You wouldn't believe them. Now, here's, this is the crazy thing. Nobody believed Mary, not even her family. Her fiance, her betrothed, Joseph, he didn't believe her either. An angel had to show up and tell Joseph in, a, in the middle of the night, hey, Jack, listen to me. She's telling the truth. And he wakes up the next day and he's like, Mary, I am so sorry I broke off this engagement. God spoke to me last night, and you are highly favored and to be praised above all women, and it would be my honor to do right by you. What a classy dude. You with me? Mary grows up her entire life with sideways glances. She is the center of a scandal in the Galilean countryside. This little girl from Nazareth is ridiculed. Everybody looks at her and assumes the worst, and she can't run around going, it's God's baby, okay? She has no vindication. She has no defense, and she knows what it's like to have everybody else's imaginations paint her in the worst possible light. She knows what it's like to be the center of gossip. She knows what it's like to be stung by a scandal, and so she sits down at a wedding near her hometown, and she sees another bride, another young woman, about to be wrapped up in the scandal. And she knows people will be whispering about the scandal of how trashy it was to run out of wine at their wedding feast. How, how terrible it was that they had to run out in the middle of this. She sees someone's lack is about to become a problem. She sees that somebody's indiscretion, somebody's failure is about to now become center stage scandal and, and this source of, of public shame and ridicule. And she says, nope, not today, not while I'm here. Jesus, I've been waiting 30 years for you to do something extraordinary, and it starts today. And he's like, Mom, it's not my time. And she's like, oh, <laughs> yes, it is. Handle it. I've waited long enough. Mary lives every moment of her life in the tension between the ordinary and the extraordinary because she knows a secret no one else knows. She knows that hope has invaded. She knows that love has come in human form to walk in the dust of our earth. She knows that redemption has been unleashed. She knows that the invasion of grace is about to come and displace the story of brokenness. She knows that though chaos has reigned for thousands of years, God has showed up and his reign has begun and everything is about to be different and she's just waiting for it to start and so she lives in hopeful expectation the word for this i'm gonna throw a big word at you you ready you ready to catch it everybody get your gloves up ready it's eschatological tension say it with me eschatological tension it means that though i'm here in the moment i can see where it's all going it means that though i'm stuck in the present i have a hopeful future because i understand that jesus is king and he's redemptively weaving the story of history in the direction he wants it to go and somebody's understand that I'm preaching right now and it's good. Wake up. 
You with me? I know the room is hot, but hang on, because this matters because in our ordinary story, in our ordinary moments, we can expect, we can anticipate, we can rely on the extraordinary, mind-blowing, wonderful, awe-inspiring presence of Jesus to show up and change everything. That your ordinary becomes extraordinary when you trust it into the hands of the king. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus replaces our lack with his abundance. This poor little Galilean bride from Cana in Galilee, this poor little girl, she has all kinds of dreams for the future. This groom, same guy, young man, he has all kinds of plans. He wants to do great things in this world. And it starts at this wedding. And, and, and I don't even know that the bride and groom even understood that this was happening. Maybe they did. Maybe they, in the moment of celebration, were caused great anxiety because their lack was about to be exposed. Listen to me. Have you ever had a moment where your failure was revealed, where you just didn't have enough. You didn't study hard enough for that test. You didn't practice long enough to make that team. And all of a sudden, your lack is exposed. You ever have a moment? Has anybody ever have a moment when you were called on to do something great and you came up short, where you had an opportunity and it was, it was there and you just crashed and burned I approached this girl when I was in third grade. Her name was Erica. Yep, yep. You, you know her? Whew. Erica. I spent $20 on one of those claw games at the local bar. You know those animal, stuffed animal claw games? Just feeding that thing money all day. I didn't understand economics when I was in third grade. And I got a, a hippo that said love on the tummy. Like a conquering king, right? Baller. And I put a love hippo in a brown paper bag and I walked across the cafeteria with all kinds of pumped up third grade hubris and I handed a brown paper bag to a little girl named Erica in front of all her friends and I said, open it. Right? You know where this is going, guys. And she opens up the bag and she pulls out a hippo with love on his tummy and I said, Erica... Do you want to go out with me? Right? Right? And here's, here's what Erica said. Here's what Erica said. Erica said this. Um, ew. Um, no. She said this. She said, no. And I was like, is that a maybe? Because she kind of shrugged, and she said, no. And she put Love Hippo back in the bag, and she handed me a bag, and I grabbed the bag, and all her friends are standing there looking at me in my shame. And here's when I realized, I just ran out of wine. And I turned around, and this is the moment I feared the most. I, in my little third grade brain, I was hoping nobody else saw this grand gesture. Here's the problem with grand gestures. Everyone's watching. Stupid move, okay, gentlemen? Just 
okay? Let me just, guys, here's, here's, here's a bit of advice. Don't ask the girl to the prom unless you know she'll say yes, okay? Better, here, here's a better one. Don't propose to her until you know she'll say yes, okay? Don't, don't risk it, guys. It's a big one. You put yourself out there. So I turn around with my little love hippo in his brown paper bag, and of course, all of the guys at the other table are watching and laughing, and I realize I just ran out of wine. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, have you ever just run out of wine. And maybe my third grade story is trivial compared to you because in truth, you're still reeling and you're hurting because the situation that you faced crippled you and it fractured you and it broke you and it exposed in you your brokenness and your deficiency. And this thing became a source of shame. Shame is a paralyzing, debilitating force. It's, it's so destructive. And this is what makes Jesus so beautiful. This is why I love this story. He's not the God of stained glass windows. He's not the God on his lofty perch. He's the God that looks down from heaven on a third grade boy with a broken heart. And he says, I'm so proud of you for believing you could do that. Way to go, buddy. Try again next time, right? He's the God who will meet you. Hey, that's right, you need more than a love hippo, okay? Try next time with a bigger stuffed animal. Anyway, but listen, he's the God that will meet you in your ordinary struggle and he will bring something extraordinary. He's the God that will meet you in your mess and he will provide for you a miracle and you might not even ever see it coming because you might not even know what to expect, but he will take your lack when you are not enough when the amount of your resources it just doesn't quite cover your situation. And that's where his abundance begins to flow, this overflowing grace, mercy, love, and life. And it will come to your aid when you need it most. And I'm telling you, you can bank on this. It's what he does. He takes ashes and he gives us beauty. He takes our mess and he does something in his sovereignty, in his power, it, that only he could do. Just this, this thing that you've made. You're, I mean, let's be honest. Some of you have taken about every bad turn you could take on the journey of your life. And you're looking at this hot mess of a tangle of dysfunction and stupid tax. And you bring this to God. And you're like, can you recognize the potential in this? And he says, yeah, actually, I can. Give it to me. This is what I do. Watch me go to work. And the world will marvel at the beauty we put on display because this is who I am. I show up in the mess, right in the middle of your mess with a miracle. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad that you showed up for a bride on her wedding day. We're glad that you are Lord of the feast as well as Lord of the fast. We are, we are so glad, Lord Jesus, that you're the kind of God who will meet us in our ordinary struggles, in the lack where our resources can't quite cover our expenditures, where we have these moments that are too big for the, for the abilities that, that we naturally possess, when we have a story that's too complicated to be untangled by our own ingenuity. 
And God, where we end, you start. Where, where we are at our, our loss, where we just don't quite have enough, where we just are in these desperate moments of like, I don't know what to do here. That's when you show up and do your very best work. Thank you for meeting us in our mess. Thank you for taking our brokenness and, and overriding it with beauty. Thank you, God, that your grace still dissolves our shame. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.